0: Good morning, Skillman. How are we doing today? I tell you, it is is cold outside. It is cold out there. In fact, uh, you didn't know this because you were in deep worship. But while we were singing these songs, it began to sleet outside. And so uh, there is a little bit of a hazard on the way out. We'll give an announcement, but please don't exit from those back doors. uh, But rather exit from the front because it's rather slippery out there because of the ice um so uh it is cold out there in fact i was talking to george milner uh on the way in and i think between this sunday and last sunday is about a 30 degree difference in temperature but i guess that's uh, the texas weather for you well uh today we are going to be continuing our series on the sermon on the mount this has been known as possibly pro- most probably the most impactful sermon ...that has ever been preached in the history of the world. It was taught by Jesus Christ himself. And we today have the privilege to read these very words that Jesus preached... ...to reflect on these words and allow it to move us into action... ...to be better people and better images of Jesus here on the earth. And Jake's done a great job the last two weeks of kicking us off uh, with the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount opens with the Beatitudes about... Flipping normal logic on its head. And it says blessed are the poor in spirit. Then it goes into the fact that we are salt and light. And in those times salt and light were some of the most important things in society. And Jesus looks at his people, his followers. And he says that you are the salt of the earth. And you are the light of the world. And then he continues on to talk about some of the external things that go on in that we have to face with each and every day um, about the law about loving our enemies, about retaliation he also talks about adultery and lust and anger and some of the external uh, habits the external things that we fa- are faced with each and every day and Jesus goes in and says hey, your righteousness should, f- should, over, should surpass those of the Pharisees and it, he, he begins talking about how it's internal, and the internal is so important. And here we get to chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6 today in the Sermon on the Mount. And today, uh, normally we put the verses on the PowerPoint, but I would like to invite you today to dust off that Bible, and uh, we're going to be reading directly from God's Word today. Here is the plan. Uh, We're going to read the entire passage today, Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18. We're going to talk about kings, and we're going to talk about carrots. And then after the the kings and the carrots, we're going to discuss three points that we can take away today from the teachings of Jesus. So if we would, please come uh, with me. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. A quick pause right here in the version I'm reading is the New International Version, the NIV, but some versions translate acts of righteousness as piety. Be careful not to do your acts of piety before men. Verse 2, so when you give to the needy, Do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Quick pause right here. You see, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is going to tackle three of the pillars of Jewish piety. Fasting, giving, and prayer. And he's going to take, these are the three pillars of the Jewish piety, what they would see as ways to outwardly express their devotion to God. And Jesus is going to address these specific issues and take it to a deeper level. And the word hypocrite, hypocrite here in the New Testament, it's used 18 times. And Jesus is actually the only one who uses the word in the New Testament. Many scholars believe that Jesus is actually the one to to really make this word famous. The ancient Greeks used the word hypocrite to talk about a stage actor, someone who was acting. But Jesus began to use this word as someone who would act different than what they preached. And here in the the text he says, be careful not to be a hypocrite. Can you believe? (laughs) I was doing some reading. And there were people who actually... When they would give to the poor, they would have a trumpet sound before them. Can you believe that that would actually happen? Can you imagine here in this church if the communion was given and the giving was here, and all of a sudden trumpets started to, <laughs> to sound, and someone stood up and casually with the trumpets, and just imagine this majesty and procession would give their tithe. This is what this was happening in the new, in the uh, first century. And Jesus says that they've received their their reward in full. Verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth; they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, uh, this is also nothing to be taken literally, because Jesus is seen in the New Testament as praying outwardly as well. But this is, again, talking about going deeper. And we're going to address this after the story. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. This is actually a biblical support for essential oils in the text. but when you fast put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you now here's the thing these are amazing good things that jesus is talking about praying is a good thing fasting is a good thing ...giving is a good thing. And these are all things that are good... ...and are of God. But here in this text... ...in the Sermon on the Mount... ...Jesus is saying... ...that it is possible... ...for these things... ...these good things... ...these things that really can can honor God... ...it is possible for these things... ...to be done in a way... ...that is not of God... ...and that is not good. That these things that are good... They can be done in a way that do not honor God and give him the praise and glory he deserves. And Jesus chooses these three things, the fasting and the giving and the praying, but he could have chosen some other things and things that we do today. He could have chosen spiritual actions like reading scripture, attending the assembly, worship. You see, these are all things that are good. But it is possible for these things To be done in a way that is not good and not pleasing to God. It's like in Amos chapter 5. In Amos in the Old Testament, the prophet is writing to the people of Israel. And this is in the the Old Testament before Jesus came. And when Amos, hearing God, writes these words down on the page. And in Amos chapter 5, verse 21, these are the words of God to Amos. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. This is God speaking to the people of Israel. Can you just focus on these words? I hate and despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings, I will not accept them. I mean, these are things that are good. Worship is good. Burnt offerings are good. Why is it that in this text, God is saying that he hates them? He hates it. He does not accept it. Well, verse 24 gives us a little bit of explanation. It says, at the time, the Jews were doing all these things. But at the same time, they were forgetting the poor. They were not feeding the hungry. They were not taking care of the widows. And the author in Amos sees that there's, there's not a connect with their actions and their words. That what they were doing in Amos was just empty. It was just them going through the motions... And it wasn't from the heart and when God sees that when God sees these good things these good things like prayer like fasting like worshiping when he sees doing these things with a heart that is not consistent Jesus is saying and Amos is also saying that it can't actually be a harmful and a bad thing So much of Jesus' teachings go to this place. Jesus is saying that why we do things is just as important as that we do them. That why we do the things that we do is just as impactful, is just as important as actually doing them. It reminded me several years ago of, of a modern day parable that I heard about a king and a carrot. You see, uh, a long time ago, there was this kingdom. And in this, king, this kingdom was ruled by a, a wonderful king. A king who took care of his people. And a king who, who was loved and honored by the people in his kingdom. And in this kingdom, there was this farmer. And one day, the farmer goes outside to his, his garden, and he sees this amazing carrot. And in all his years of being a farmer... This was the most amazing carrot that he had ever grown. The color was perfect. The size was perfect. He just knew that the taste would be exactly what a carrot is supposed to taste like. And so he took this carrot and he knew exactly what to do with this carrot. Because he loved the king so much. And he was so thankful that the king protected him. He was so thankful that the kingdom was the way it was. And so the next day he went to the temple courts. And he brought this carrot and there in the great hall, he stood before the king in all the procession with this big carrot in his hand. And he goes to the king and says, King, I love you so. In all my years as a farmer, this is the greatest carrot that I've ever grown. There is no carrot like this. And when I saw this carrot, I knew exactly what I wanted to do with it. I wanted to give it to you as a token of my love and appreciation for who you are as a king. Here, please accept this carrot as a gift from me to you. And the king was touched by this incredible gift. And he received this carrot. And this farmer's, his eyes were were wide and a smile came upon his face because he knew that he had given something to the king. And as he was walking out of the temple gates, the king said, Stop! I am so touched by what you did for me. I just so happened to own the farmland next to your farm. And I can see that you are a good man, a trustworthy man. And I want to give my land to you to take and to nurture it. It's yours, free of charge. Take this land as a gift from me to you for honoring me the way that you did. And this farmer was so surprised and shocked and he smiled and was thankful and he went on his way. Well, there in the temple courts, there was a nobleman and this nobleman, Started doing a little math in his head. You see, because this nobleman, he raised horses. In fact, the greatest horses in the land were his. And he began to say, Man, if this farmer got all that for a carrot, what could I get for a horse? So the very next day, this nobleman goes into the temple courts and he brings this giant amazing beautiful horse before the king he says king i'm so thankful for who you are as a king in fact i raise horses and this is the most amazing horse i've ever had please take this horse as a token of my appreciation to you and the king said thank you very much for the horse but the king was wise and he could see right through the intentions of this nobleman and so he said thank you very much you may go and the nobleman was was just startled, and he said, Hey, I was here yesterday, and this farmer gave you a carrot. And this carrot, you gave him all this land. Today I give you a horse, and you give me nothing. And the king was wise and he said, Here's the difference. That farmer gave the carrot to me for, for my benefit. You are giving the horse. To me for your benefit. The carrot was actually a gift to me. But the horse is actually a gift to yourself. How many times do we do things in worship as a spiritual body with the wrong intentions? Actually doing things for our gain and not God's gain. We do this sometimes, we fall into the trap of doing things to, to bless ourselves or so that we can go to heaven or make sure that we are all right. When actuality, God has designed this whole thing for to transform us and, and for us to do them not to gain something, but because we love Him. Spur out of love. If many of you here are literary fans, Catcher on the Rye, the main character Holden Caulfield. It's, it's like this: what he says in the book, he says, if you do something too good, then after a while, if you don't watch it, you start showing off, and then you're not as good anymore. And you know, in church today, there aren't people who come in with trumpets to give. We've kind of learned not to do that. When we pray, there's not people here, well, there are some that pray maybe a long, long prayers, but it's not like babbling like the pagans did but maybe in in our society in our religious history and our heritage right now it's not those big grandiose statements trying to get honored and praised to ourselves that are the danger but like but more more than likely than not it's the fact that we have been going to church our whole life we've been doing these things for so long we know how to act We know how to play the game. So the danger is is that we begin going through the motions and that many of our actions become dead without meaning. We forget that we are singing to God. We forget that we are a community that's on mission. We forget. That when we pray, we're actually communicating with the creator of the world. Not just spouting out empty words. I think these are the danger that we face today. Are doing things just out of ritual, out of habit. Without the heart, without the soul, without the meaning. And without the love of God that is behind it all. And the big question today is, how? How can we be like that farmer? How can we be like that farmer with the carrot? Who when he saw this carrot, this gift was moved to the point of offering it without any strings attached to the king. How can we be like this farmer and not be like the nobleman who gives things just so we could have something back in return? A couple things, three things. The first is that this text invites us to ask why. This text, Jesus' text in Matthew chapter 6, invites us to examine our motives. Why are you here today? Why did you come? Why do you sing? Why do you pray? Matthew 6 invites us to go there, to ask why. Why do you do the things that you do? Do you do it because you've always done it? Do you do it because it's the the right thing to do and everyone else does it so you want to go too? Do you do it because someone told you to come? These are all things that are external. Is your motivation love for God? And this text allows us to pause right now to have an introspective moment. Why do you do the things that you do? Why? And in in Matthew 6, Jesus is telling these, these readers, why do you pray? Why do you fast? Why do you give? Is it for your own credit? Or is it because you love God so much? This is an overflow of the heart. Secondly, this text invites us to let go. To let go of the results. To let go of giving with strings attached. Of doing things so that we can get things we can get something back in return have you ever given something with no strings attached you know jesus is quoted in scripture as saying it is more blessed to give than to receive but the tricky thing about that very sentence is if you go into giving knowing that it's more blessed to give than to receive then it's not going to be more blessed to give than to receive <laughs> do you understand what i'm saying the only way this works is if you don't think you're going to be more blessed by giving it only works is if you give with no strings attached with nothing you hope to get in return then you'll be more blessed (laughs) to give than to receive but if you go into it thinking oh I'm going to give so I can be more blessed it's not going to happen you're not going to be blessed we have as a church need to learn (laughs) to let go To do the right thing because it's the right thing. And if you look at all these things that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 6. Fasting, prayer, and giving. I mean, the very essence of these three things are giving. Right? Of of letting go. Of giving of yourself. Giving. That's obvious. You're giving your resources. Fasting. Fasting. It's not something that you're, you're taking in. You're, you're, you're abstaining from, from eating. and prayer, you are offering yourself and, and giving yourself to God in community, in communion. These three things, the very act, is an act of submission. It's an act of giving of yourself, of, of, of letting go, of giving it. And may we, when we're here, when we sing, when we pray, when we study, when we read our scriptures may that also be an act of letting go, of submission, of doing it not so that we can be be praised or or receive something in return, but again, the ironic thing is when we let go, when we go there, when we give, then that's when the transformation takes place. And finally, this text reminds us to begin with love. Love is the beginning. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says that without love, everything is worthless. It's useless. It's like a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. Without love, these acts that we do, these things that we as a church do every Sunday, they are an empty noise to God. It's like an Amos when he says that he hated their religious festivals, my hunch is because there was no love attached to it. The motivation wasn't that God had blessed them so much that they wanted to give to God. My my hunch is that they were giving to have things in return. May we start with love, and may we continue with love. Jesus can, can see our hearts. The sincerity of our hearts are seen and are heard. And when things become empty rules, when things become routine, then they lose its values. But Jesus invites us here and now, today, on a journey of transformation. And that transformation begins from the inside out. And here's the truth. You guys have been in church most of your life. and You've probably heard this sermon a hundred times about how it begins on the inside, how we need to let go, how we need to let the emotions, well, let let our actions be an overflow of the heart. These are things that we've heard our whole life. And I want to ask you, what's going to be different today? I think this is a message that we need to hear time and time again because it's something that we fall into. May we be people who examine our hearts and to ask why. Who let go and that begin with love. You know, each week at Skillman we offer an invitation to respond to this message. And Jesus has spoken to us today. If you need prayers, this is the place to be and we will pray for you as a church family. If you want to be baptized, this is also a place where that invitation is offered to you as well. And if you have a confession or something that you have in your heart burning that you want to let go and relinquish, like Jesus is talking about, this is also an opportunity to do so as well. Why don't you come? You are invited. There'll be elders on the side, and I'll be in front. You're invited uh, to come while we stand and sing. How do you explain?